Welcome back to the Salty Talks podcast, a podcast all about aquaculture in Maine. And today I wanted to talk about the importance of education and workforce development in aquaculture. I spoke with Scarlett Tudor, the Education and Outreach Coordinator with the Aquaculture Research Institute a while ago about this subject, but I wanted to release this episode now as we just had our new Aqueous Fellowship start this week, as well as our externship, which you'll hear a bit about both of these later on in the episode. Hi, so I am Scarlett Tudor. I am the Education and Outreach Coordinator for the Aquaculture Research Institute. Um, I'm also a first-generation student, so I'm the first person in my family to have a PhD, which I mention that because I think it really impacts how I think about education and how I think about education um, at the university. Uh, I'm also from rural Ohio, so (laughs) eating seafood is uh, not a part of my cultural background in any way. So I feel like if we can convince people like me that did not think seafood was actually a thing that you would normally eat. Um, and now I'm a, I realize that um, I like seafood, but it has to be very fresh seafood. So living in Maine has definitely um, changed my mind. So those are a few different things about me. I'm also um, an animal behaviorist. So my research is actually um, more about understanding um, fish behavior and fish reproductive behavior and how environments um, influence those behaviors. So back in February, Scarlett and I were at an aquaculture conference down in New Orleans, and there was a lot of discussion about workforce development strategy and how crucial this is for the future of Maine's aquaculture sector. Across the state of Maine, there's a lot of groups like the Gulf of Maine Research Institute, Educate Maine, um, of course, the University of Maine, just to name a few, focused on creating occupational standards and standardizing workforce training across the state. And things like the Maine Aquaculture Apprenticeship Program, Aquaculture Pioneers, and the education opportunities at the University of Maine allow us to create partnerships between industry leaders, institutions, employers, with emphasis on experiential learning and diversifying our workforce. So I wanted to know what workforce development meant to Scarlett and why she found this particularly important to start thinking about within aquaculture. Yeah, so I first want to say, um, again, give uh, Christian Braden a shout out from Maine Aquaculture Association because he is really the one that has kind of led the development of those occupational standards and getting those out. And the reason I mention those is because they are really the foundation foundation for all of the work that these other groups are doing and without that foundation it would be much more difficult to collaborate with one another and I think the lack of those collaborations means that people have less access to different programs and different pathways and so I think that's one really critical piece and I think it's sort of interesting to think about workforce development Um, I think that these are actually sort of things that you know 4-H and cooperative of extension has done for agriculture for decades and this is really teaching people sort of some of the really basic skill sets that are needed for aquaculture and what makes aquaculture and and some agricultural um, systems so much different than other career types is the involvement of live animals 
And so once we're caring for live animals in any context, whether it's making seafood or we're conducting research or we're culturing them um, for hobbyists, these animals don't take weekends off. They don't take holidays. They need life support systems, right, that we're maintaining. And so when you have these career pathways that include animals in this way, there are some fundamental things that every single person within that career pathway has to understand. Um, and then if you look at even folks like CEOs of certain companies, um, when you're talking about aquaculture companies, those major CEOs know what it means to siphon fish poop and they know what it means, you know, to clean out a filter because you work your way up from the ground level um, in a way that I think not all um, sort of career pathways um, require. And so when we're talking about workforce development, I think we're talking about those basic skill sets, right? Those that are unique to the organisms that we're culturing. But I also think we're talking about, you know, what is also called 21st century skills. And those are skills that anybody needs for anything, right? Because those skills are including, you know, teamwork, communication, um, you know, showing up to a site on time, being reliable, right? Like all of those skill sets aren't necessarily aquaculture specific, but they do again have a, a much higher importance when these career paths intersect with culturing live animals. The University of Maine has a handful of educational opportunities like our micro-credential pathway, our externship, and the new Aqueous Fellowship I mentioned earlier. Our externs actually recently started at the tail end of May, which is super exciting. Um, an externship is perhaps a new term, and so Scarlett here broke down what exactly an externship is and what ours entails. Yeah, and I think we call this an externship for a couple fundamental reasons in that I think when people hear the University of Maine, they often think about research and, you know, faculty and really, you know, basic science and that there isn't this intersection between the industry and the day-to-day -day workings of an industry and the University of Maine. And that is not true at all. And so our externship program is a little different in that, you know, traditionally at an undergraduate institution, if you get an internship, you usually work with a faculty mentor and you take part in their research in their lab. Um, but our program is different in that our students actually work within industry directly and that often our students are actually bringing skill sets that that industry maybe didn't have or they didn't have the you know the time um, or resources whatever it is to do the project that our externs um, can do so i would say the real fundamental difference between like an internship and what we were calling our externship is this real synergy between the university and an industry partner so our students are doing all of the day-to-day -day stuff that they would do on you know any farm or any environment where we're culturing organisms whether that be for seafood or for research 
And these positions aren't only at farms around the state. They can be quite broad. It's very, very diverse, actually. And so, yes, we do have some partners like American Unagi, right? That is an eel farm. Um, but even those farms are interested in collecting data and understanding different growing methods, you know, anything to help advance their procedures. So even when we talk about a seafood production farm, there's still interest and need for research. But in addition to these sort of food production areas, um, we have students at Sea and Reef, which actually cultures ornamental marine fishes. So that's for the hobby um, industry, not for seafood at all. Um, we've had students at the town of Brunswick, so doing real policy um, marine resources sort of work. And we've had students work in the Department of Marine Resources in Maine as well. Um, so again, looking at those policy regulatory um, practices and, and sampling practices, right? So um, one of our students was part of the regular um, bivalve sampling that they do to ensure that um, any uh, bivalves that are cultured in those waters are safe for eating, right? So you even get into some food safety um, sort of monitoring. We also have students working with 4-H and Cooperative Extension on youth development, right? And teaching younger kids some of these um, skill sets. And then we've had students at Down East Feder Salmon Federation, um, and that's a conservation organization. So, you know, again, I think when people think about aquaculture, they, they mostly think about seafood production, but, um, you know, I've I've gone to, you know, career um, uh, like events, right, for undergraduates. And I had a student who was working in biomedical and she was like, oh, that's that's fish farming. And I was like, nope, our our lab also makes vaccines. Right. And so when you're talking about a Petri dish, it doesn't matter if you're talking about human cells or fish cells. Right. All of those techniques are the same. So I would sort of argue that when you think about aquaculture, you could name almost any interest that somebody has and there is probably a career pathway within the aquaculture industry that aligns with those interests. Not only can the positions be very different, but the students that apply for this externship are very diverse in skills as well, not only coming from aquaculture or marine science backgrounds. It's kind of a mix, actually. So um, we certainly have a lot of students from the School of Marine Sciences that apply. But I would say the School of Marine Sciences also has really broad reaching like career aspirations. Right. So um, there even some of those students are interested in conservation. And I think a lot of students are actually sort of gravitating to aquaculture for conservation, frankly, and, um, you know, better, um, more sustainable methods of food production. Um, so there's a lot of interest um, in that. A lot of students that are just sometimes just inherently interested in aquatic organisms. Um, and the again, like, you know, we're culturing organisms. So these are career pathways in which um, they get to interact um, with fish and shellfish on a regular basis. Even students that are interested in engineering, like there's lots of applications um, for engineering and certainly land-based aquaculture, but, you know, we're even seeing how uh, oysters are cultured. There's a lot of need for um, new engineering technologies um, within these sectors. So, you know, we get students from fish and wildlife. We get students 
students from um, food sciences and agriculture. We get students from biology and we get students from the School of Marine Sciences. And again, I think that's like a real indicator of how broad aquaculture spans because you you get students that do have really inherently different interests and each and every one of them are finding a pathway a career pathway within aquaculture this is beneficial for the hosts too because they get to work with students who have different lived experiences and different educational backgrounds who can then bring skills to the hosts that uh, they might not normally be getting. Yeah, and and it's sort of interesting too, like even in addition to that, one year one of our students um, uh, grew up in Brunswick and for her project, for externship, she actually created a a guide to obtaining your recreational um, shellfish license. And so she ended up creating this product, right, that she wished she had access to when she was a kid you know and another student at, at, at the town of Brunswick even last year brought um, GIS skills and created this really cool story map that again that office didn't necessarily have all the resources to be able to do that so our students are kind of bringing new skill sets to these groups which i think is really important for them too where they're not just doing these projects where oh you know a faculty wrote a grant and they have these experiments that need to be run and they're they're running them i mean these students are are really able to take ownership of some of these, um, some of their projects and the directions that they go. But then on top of that, even kind of giving back to some of these communities. And then in some cases, right, these students are giving back to their own community. I was curious if this externship was the first time that most of these students had been exposed to aquaculture or even just working in marine related industries. A lot of students, this is their first exposure. And I will say with COVID, I mean, you know, you have a lot of undergrads right now that have effectively spent the entirety of their career on Zoom because of the pandemic. So these types of opportunities are really, really important. And, you know, like I was really lucky in my undergrad where I took like ornithology and ichthyology and some of these really, you know, small number classes where I was learning like how to sane and how to use a backpack chakra to collect fish. And I don't think students today in general have that same sort of access, right? Because there's, you know, classes are bigger and it's harder to do some of those hands-on things. So I do think these externship and internship opportunities are, are really critical for students to, to to not only like say, oh, well, this is more specifically the career path that I want to go down, but like, you know, sometimes it's like, man, I hated that <laughs> and I don't want to do that. You know, some things you just have to try, you know, and I've had students that think like, oh, well, you know, I want to work on an oyster farm because they're envisioning like, oh, I'm going to be on the coast and outside every day. But like sometimes working in the oyster industry means you're working in a hatchery and you're cleaning out tanks and you're inside, you know. So, I mean, you know, and again, I think. Anytime you're working with live animals in any context, it's no longer a nine to five job. And I think those things in theory, you could say, oh yeah, I I really wanna do that. But until you have to wake up at two o'clock in the morning for an alarm, or, you know, I've I've had students that had to like wake up at four in the morning because of tides to do sampling. Like you really have to love 
doing this, you know, and if you don't, it's, it's just such a heavy lift, you know? So I, I think them getting these experiences are, are really critical. Again, not just to build these skill sets, but to decide like, is this the thing I want to spend my, you know, life doing or most of my time doing? And most of the time I think it's yes, but sometimes it's no. And I think that's, yeah, that's not a bad thing right. either. That's just like a, now, you know, you don't want to be doing that. Yeah. While talking about exposing students to aquaculture and related fields, I started to think about youth and their involvement. Lots of kids in Maine grow up on the coast, but people often forget that Maine is a pretty large state, and a lot of kids grow up inland or far away from the ocean where there are disparities in terms of access to these types of opportunities. So I asked Scarlett how she thinks we can get more youth involved in training and getting their hands on these aquatic organisms and starting to fill this gap. Yeah, and I, I think even if you look at a lot of the sort of youth development programming that does exist, and there's some really cool youth development programming out there, a majority of it is located on the coast. Mm -hmm. And being from Ohio, right, I'm from this really rural place, and I don't think that lots of people do realize that um, there's lots of parts of Maine where kids have never seen the ocean before. And that's because, you know, they are in rural communities and they don't have the same kind of access. And I think the shame is that so many of these kids, I think, would, you know, youth would love to live in their home state, but maybe they don't want to live in their hometown. And even just moving to the coast can feel like a world away. But for us to have them see themselves in some of these job opportunities, they have to know that they exist. And again, you know, just like anything else, I'd love to have younger people, right, experience what it is like um, in aquaculture and see some of these organisms and, and get to interact with some of these things to know like, hey, these are different career pathways that, that exist and that you have the capacity to do them. Um, and for me, again, like I'm a 4-H alumni, you know, I was in 4-H from the time I was eight till I was 17. And so, you know, 4-H and cooperative extension have always been this like workforce development tool. And I, I, you know, I, my own passion for caring for fish was started there. Um, I actually took my aquarium to the state fair in Ohio. So, right, like even in a place like Ohio, I had access to programs that helped me learn skill sets in something that I was passionate about. And again, the, my parents and my family, they weren't able to teach me those things, right? Mm -hmm. So having these youth programs, and again, 4-H is, you know, um, it's a well-known organization. It happens all throughout the state of Maine, all throughout the country, actually. Um, and so some of our programming that we do, like with aquaponics, this is a great way to get kids um, um, and youth practice with doing water quality, um, you know, understanding the, the nitrogen cycle and what the nitrogen cycle looks like in your fish tank is not that different than what it looks like in an ocean or a pond or a river. Um, and, and frankly, a lot of the like, you know, water quality sampling techniques, like I have an API kit that you could buy and we have like kids literally six years old are able to use this water quality monitoring kit and how that works isn't really 
really that different than the same, you know, machine that I use in the lab. So again, giving them exposure to these little pieces of what we're able to do is really critical because if I don't, you know, again, like even somebody like me that loved fish, I still went to nursing school because coming from a rural family um, with not a lot of money, they wanted me to, to have something more, but they didn't know what that more meant. Right. And for them, it was like, oh, well, if you're a doctor, like that's, you know, that's a that's a good job. They they didn't understand like. Yeah, I mean, like, even my grandmother, I still used to tell her I was a teacher because, like, trying to explain to her that I got paid to take care of fish, like, never, <laughs> like, it was like, okay, I'm sorry, what, they're paying you to do what, right? Um, and and so I think that that's why it is really important for people like me and then, like, my colleagues, Melissa Malmstead and Carla Skoki to, to teach kids about, like, hey, there are all these different job opportunities. And I will tell you, I have some um, youth that we work with, I would put them in my research lab and I would give them access and rely on them in a way that there are a lot of undergraduates that I would not trust in the same capacity but the only difference is access and experience mm -hmm. right there's not like these you know youth inherently know more about fish no it's just that you know they've had an aquarium and they you know they've you know seen fish get sick and they've had to take care of them and they've had to monitor water quality and that they have a sense of what fish behavior looks like you know and and, and I say that very you know I, I say that very seriously like you know I take the husbandry and the care of my animals very seriously I'm an animal behaviorist like my thoughts about you know animal ethics and how we care for them and how we treat them um you know that I take very seriously and I and I really do mean I have youth in our aquaponics program that I would give them a list of stuff to do and I wouldn't even worry about it like Scarlett was saying, it's totally okay if these kids don't end up liking it because the skills that they obtain in 4-H also translate very well into school or whatever they choose to do. And I think it's great that youth are getting this general knowledge about aquaculture at such a young age and not being flooded with misinformation. Like, I didn't even know what aquaculture was until I started grad school. And I think it makes them better seafood consumers, right? I think it makes them better consumers in general. But definitely seafood consumers right people you know yeah. don't understand you know some basic biology things about fish that make them a more sustainable food source um, than some other proteins that we have right and understanding even fish behavior right like having a bunch of fish in a net pen is much different than taking a bunch of cattle and putting them in a tiny tiny pen right like schooling is part of salmon's natural behavior right and so the stressors that come um, with culturing are much different than fish and again when you have youth having these experiences whether they end up working with fish in their career or not like they have a better understanding of um, fish biology and how that does play a role um, in how we culture them and how we produce um, seafood and in addition get like public speaking um, experience 
experience. They get to work on projects, but even things like emotion regulation, right? Like, you know, we, like in our aquaponics program, um, especially over the pandemic, we did everything virtually. So the youth designed their um, systems, they built their systems, they had to troubleshoot their systems, right? Um, and, and it's hard, like caring for fish and aquatic organisms is actually very hard. Um, but once you know how to do it, it becomes much easier, right? But there is this sort of exponential learning curve. And so even this idea of failure and, you know, retooling something or, you know, troubleshooting something, those are skills that are important just as a human being on this planet, right? Like we yeah, need to be able no to communicate. Exactly. Yeah. I was just thinking of misinformation. Was it you that told me that somebody, you heard that somebody had said that like tilapia doesn't have skin? Yes. <laughs> this was like, a, this was like one of those things. And actually I think um, it was um, my mother-in-law had it come up on her Facebook page <laughs> and like all these people in her um, community were like passing this thing along. And then of course, like she could send it to me or into Heather to be like, Hey, you know, and we were like this, like none of these things even make sense. <laughs> right? Like even if you thought about it for a few seconds, right. But but again, like fish biology is so different yeah. than mammals, right? And it's easier for us to understand cows or even chickens because a lot of the things that they need are not that much different than what we need. But yeah. when you're talking about fish, they're so different that people believe all of these wild things that are just like, oh, wow, that is definitely not true at all. I'm just trying to picture a tilapia without... No, it's like, it would be dead, right? I mean, that's, like, that's the thing. Like, it, you know, it's like, no, they have like a slime coat. They have scale. Like, they have all these other things. <laughs> Um, so I think that like these words like certificate or frankly, even micro credential, right? Like a certificate can be like, oh, I printed this thing on my printer and here you go. Here's your certificate, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a certificate, but what does that mean? And I think where, um, this is really where those occupational standards come in because these standards have come directly from industry and extension and researchers, right? Like, you know, this was a huge project um that you know sent out many surveys and had a lot of people across the state across sectors that even tangentially touch aquaculture in some way right um had the ability to say these skill sets are really important whether you're working on a farm and then the different levels of jobs right um and these are now the skills based you know assessment that i can go to right and i think a lot of industries are are looking at skill sets and um you know it's like when you get an undergraduate degree i don't come out with a list of skill sets right i come out with a transcript and a bunch of grades and classes but like again i'm from ohio i was a marine science major in ohio and i can guarantee you right my skill sets that i had taking a marine biology degree in ohio is vastly different than the skill sets that the students that come to UMaine in the school of marine sciences get but my diploma 
would have said the same thing as theirs. Yeah. And so how do employers know what, you know, like, okay, well then my degree almost, it's like, yes, it is a standard that like, yes, I took these classes and I did these things, but it doesn't really speak to my ability in any, any sort of concrete way. And so this is why I, I really like this micro-credentialing sort of effort. Um, and that most of the time we see these micro-credentialing efforts are actually at community colleges. And community colleges are already sort of historically steeped in skill sets, right? Not necessarily like a transcript. It's like you're learning plumbing skill sets or electrical skill sets. All skill sets I wish I had actually learned when I was in community college for nursing, right? Like as yeah. somebody that works with fish. And so what these micro-credentials do at the university, it creates this digital record of skill sets. And so now students, and again, we have micro-credentials for youth and we have micro-credentials for any, any learner effectively in aquaculture. And what I could do is I could put my aquaculture micro-credential on the end of my email. I can embed it in my CV and then an employer or, you know, anybody that I want to work with, if they want to understand what I'm capable of doing, they can actually click on that digital badge and get to our um, system right within the university that clearly states this learner showed um, competency in this list of skill sets. So there's no mystery now of like, well, you took this class here, you did this thing here, but like, what are you actually able to do, right? And, and it gives employers instantaneous access to what those skill sets are. So I think it's a real shift um, of thinking about, you know, like a transcript or my diploma versus like, here is a list of things that I'm able to do. And again, I think that's why these are important for our undergraduate students, but any adult learner, our youth, right? And so the way we kind of set like our youth, um, micro-credentials up is that, again, I can teach somebody who's six something about water quality. And if they grow and learn with us, by the time they're in high school, you already get the adult level one because those youth have the same skill sets, right? And knowledge base that, you know, not all of our undergraduates have after their freshman year. Um, and so it, it, again, I think it, you know, the sort of basis in skill sets, I think is a really critical piece and that they're so easily accessed, like what exact skill sets does somebody have? And this isn't open to just UMaine students. This is something that all people can do. Yeah, so um, we collaborate with Cooperative Extension a lot. And I mean, I literally, again, I work with kids that are six and then I work, you know, we're hoping high school students could take some of these beginning micro-credentials, the adult ones. Um, some, some folks are teachers actually that wanna learn a little bit more in depth about land-based aquaculture. So they could get a micro-credential in that in order to teach their students um, something. We have folks that, you know, I mean, Maine's a beautiful state sometimes people you know uh, work a corporate job and then they don't want to do that anymore so they have a, a career shift right and so a lot of these jobs don't necessitate a four-year degree but 
what people do need is sort of access right to some of the resources that the university has like you know the center for cooperative aquaculture research like our a lot of our courses happen there so that means all of our students whether they're getting an undergraduate degree or they're just interested in taking the course and they want to take it as a one-off like workshop they're all getting experience with industry level industry size systems um so these these courses really are for for anyone any learner um there's some place in that pathway where you could get started and Scarlett actually teaches one of these courses. So um, both Melissa Malmstead and I kind of co-teach aquatic animal husbandry and um, recirculating aquaculture systems. And so the aquaculture systems course um, we're going to teach in August this year. But we're hoping that um, both of those courses would be available annually. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're kind of working right now um, because Cooperative Extension has hired an instructional designer. We're actually working on some online spaces Mm -hmm. so that people if you know again folks that don't necessarily have access to the coast they can get some interactive education um, in aquaculture and gain some um, skill sets and again try it like was that interesting or not and then it's like well that's a you know we're just trying to lower the barrier of entry right and every time we lower the barrier of entry it makes it more accessible for somebody um and so we're even you know now working on yes part of our course is hands-on and that's a really critical piece but there's also a lot of knowledge gain and some skill sets that we can teach right in a virtual space and i think technologies like virtual field trips are becoming even more more interactive so um, and lots there's lots of institutions that are sort of using virtual environments to give some of those hands-on skills again so that when they do come to an in-person class things don't all seem brand new day one because it's like yeah I did have some exposure to this even if it starts in an online version or a virtual version Before we ran out of time, I did want to touch on the USDA Research and Extension for Undergraduates, uh, an REEU, at Humane Wabanaki Center and the Aquaculture Research Institute. I'll probably do a whole episode about this later uh, because there's so much to say about it, but briefly, this is a fellowship for undergrads from around the nation who will be combining indigenous knowledge with STEM STEM concepts from Western science to work on real world problems and projects in aquaculture. We have six students from both coasts who actually just got to campus today, which is super exciting. So I asked Scarlett why it's important to learn from the interdisciplinary faculty at UMaine as well as knowledge. I think that having indigenous voices in this space is an absolute necessity for a bunch of reasons one they're sort of original stewards of these environments these people evolved in these environments they have been here since time immemorial right like um so there's so much knowledge that is passed through um generations of indigenous people that scientists can't measure that's like you like some things you just can't put a number to um i also think that these become really critical in terms of you know environmental conservation 
preservation and restoration. You know, there are stories that are passed down from generations of indigenous people that tell us how we can um, fix some of the things that, you know, frankly, Western science has done to the environment. Or, or like sometimes as a Western scientist, I feel like I'm trying to solve problems that we created in, in some cases, right? And so um, I think that these these connections um, between traditional ecological knowledge or this real rich generational knowledge um, and some of the newer techniques with Western science, pairing those together is is a strength and it only helps our understanding. And like I, have, I was once at a conference a person, an indigenous person was talking about the alewife fishery. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that fishery, like Western sciences, scientists have, are saying it's declining, right? And that we have numbers um, to sort of show that. But if you paired this with indigenous knowledge about those populations, the decline is even more severe than we understand, right? So without this sort of generational environmental information, we, we're, we're missing large pieces, you know, and we're not understanding the entirety of the problem. And, and we're really missing ways to solve these problems and, and that their indigenous people have knowledge of how, right, to restore these environments and instead of western scientists trying to you know do this in a silo and trying to figure this out on our own when we're, we're never going to have access to that knowledge in the same way um so i think these pieces are really critical to come together and again i mean it is about sustainability and um you know environment restoration and you know keeping our environment for many generations to come i think that you know um lots of indigenous um groups think about many generations and i don't think western science always thinks in that way and we have to start thinking that way because we all are interconnected. We are interconnected with animals. We are interconnected. You know, the things that are bad for other animals are bad for us too. Um, and so I think, you know, projects like this that um, are trying to do better, you know, I mean, as a non-Indigenous person, right, I need to do better and I need to, you know, make more space to listen to Indigenous voices. And I think, you know, again, a lot of students get really interested in conservation. And I think if you're wanting to go in and, uh, you know, sort of down this conservation pathway, if you don't know anything about traditional ecological knowledge, that's a shame. And, and that isn't going to serve any of us um, well right that that having this rounded knowledge and, and understanding and appreciation for those things become really really important yeah i mean and even you know like on our campus like you know, some of our signage on campus has um, indigenous language on them. And, and I think it's really important um, because societally, I, I don't think that we've all, we have not made space inherently um, for those voices. And again, I think we're, we're hurting ourselves by doing that.
Um, and so making people more aware, giving students opportunities, you know, and we hope again, like having indigenous students that are, um, are scientists, you know, and, and changing even the way Western science works, right? Mm -hmm. And how we think about it. I think so much of Western science is shaped by our culture um, and that, you know, I, you know, some, and, and I, I guess maybe this is my perspective again as, an, as a behaviorist, right? I think a lot of people will be like, oh, well, this machine goes bing and then it spit out this number or this sequence <laughs> or this thing. And so that has to inherently mean something and that, and that like me as a behaviorist, because I sit and watch animals, that isn't as rigorous as having this machine. And so I, I've, I feel like even just because of my own um, sort of research focus, like I understand the importance of observation and watching and learning and paying attention right to these organisms around us and that even if i don't have a number or a sequence or you know something on a petri dish like that is also science and it, it also tells us all kinds of things um that we can't know from you know a machine it's not that those machines don't have a place they certainly do and they certainly give lots of information but i think we have to reframe how we think about those machines and and that um they are just one tool in a huge toolbox of things that are needed to really you know make progress and and just yeah understanding our world understanding um how things work so just a big shout out to scarlett for taking time to sit down and chat with me about workforce development and education and why it's so crucial for maine's aquaculture sector Definitely stay tuned for a whole episode just about our Aqueous Fellowship. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about fish all day, so, you know, <laughs> we, we better end it now before I start, start rambling on about fish paper. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Scarlett. Yeah.